The contents of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's financial objectives, financial situation or needs. Listeners should obtain independent advice before making any financial decisions. Hi, welcome to another edition of HealthKick. I'm Tim Borum. Well, when it comes to medical devices, no one actually expects them to harm patient health, which uh, sounds reasonable enough. Unfortunately, though, the injected contrast dye used in x-rays for some standard heart procedures is far from safe because they can badly harm the kidneys of vulnerable patients. There's even a name for this condition, uh, contrast-induced acute kidney injury, or AKI. And if that sounds like a problem in need of a solution, you're quite right. Happily, uh, help is on the way uh, from the ASX-listed Osprey Medical, which has created and is indeed marketing a gadget called Divert. Now, Divert is a catheter-like device which recovers the dye used in angiograms and other heart procedures before it gets to the kidneys to do harm. Uh, And that's after the dye has, has done its job, of course. The diverts are approved in the US and Europe, uh, as well as here, Uh, but for the time being, the Minnesota-based Osprey is focused on its uh, home turf of the US. Anyway, I've got with me Osprey's CEO, Mike McCormick, to tell us more. So uh, welcome, Mike. Thank you, Tim, for having me. No, thank you. Um, Mike, uh, I'm just wondering, uh, why did it take so long? Uh, Because it it, it was a problem uh, a screaming problem, uh, really, in, in need of a uh, solution? Yeah, it's a really good question. You know, angiograms, where they use contrast media to look at different structures within the body, have been around for a long time. The area that has the highest risk for a patient is when they actually do a heart scan using that same dye, uh, because the, the heart uh, is related to the kidneys, and the kidneys is what processes any impurities in your blood and when they're injecting this dye, they're injecting in your bloodstream. So the kidneys have to deal with it. So a person with a heart condition that also gets uh, a kidney a kidney event or gets a kidney damaging event or extra work on the kidney is at a, a very high risk that their kidney could be damaged. So that's where we started focusing. And it was actually some of the pioneering work of Dr. David Kay in Australia, who came up with some of the early ideas around modifying the risk for these patients by lowering the dose of dye that goes that's used in these procedures so that it doesn't hurt those patients kidneys yeah okay so um it's about lowering the amount of dye which you need to pump in in the first place um and as the name divert suggests it's also about diverting the dye extracting the dye after it's done its job of um helping the x-ray detect the images yeah, and so what we do is actually, um, when they do one of these angiograms, they're obviously using the dye so that they can see your arteries in your heart. And what we do is we've got a very simple to use device that allows them to use 40% less of that dye and get the same image quality. And it's the only FDA approved device that can do that, that can lower the amount of dye without affecting the image quality. And that, in turn, can reduce that patient's risk that they'll have one of these AKI or acute kidney injury events. 
The way that we actually do it, that's where the, the novel part comes in. This is the part that Dr. David Kay invented. He looked at the dynamics that are involved in a normal injection, where you're injecting this dye into a very small artery that goes on the outside of the heart. And he noticed that a byproduct of almost every single one of these injections is you get this uh, waste product or this over injection where once the very, very small artery is full of dye, some of it fills, spills out of that artery and it goes into a very big vessel called the aorta. Um, most people are familiar with that. It's biggest, one of the biggest vessels. It is the biggest vessel in your body. And that wasted dye that was going in the aorta that wasn't helping them to see that really small artery is what Dr. K focused on. And he came up with a way to lower the amount of that unwanted reflux. And so it's a really simple concept. It was surprising nobody had seen that before, but Dr. K was the one who came up with the original ideas. And then we perfected the technologies to make it easy to use, repeatable and very fast and efficient so that it could be deployed in patients with bad kidneys that need to have one of these coronary angiogram procedures. And it results in 40% less dye used without affecting the image quality. And that can translate into real benefits of lowering the risk of acute kidney injury for patients that are at high risk. I suppose the obvious question, Mike, is why they don't change the dye to make it less toxic. I, I presume they can't. That It's a really good question. I would tell you, that would be the ultimate solution for patients, which is what we would always want. But the difficulty with that is, and they, you know, these contrast agents have been around for, gosh, the last 60 years. Uh, and what they use in that, in that contrast in the dye is they use iodine, and that's what the x-ray uh, bounces off of so that you can see it easy. So you, you need a, some type of a ferrous uh, molecule that the x-rays bounce off of. And actually iodine is, is, is one of the safest ones to use. Uh, it's been very difficult and they've tried over the last 30 years to come up with something that's non-toxic to the kidneys. And it's been very difficult, uh, particularly for patients that are at risk, the patients that have pre-existing poor kidney function that have to undergo this procedure. So um, there isn't anything currently in clinical trials that has the promise of no toxicity or a dye that would have no toxicity. And we don't see one on the horizon just because of some of the technical difficulties in trying to make a non, uh, a non, uh, uh, you know, a non-toxic dye that uh, also can be seen on x-ray. Yeah, okay. And so that, therefore, what, what's the addressable market um, in terms of... Uh... I, I guess people with weak kidney functions being vulnerable to um, AKI. Sure. There's, when we look at the world market, gosh, every year, if you just look at angiograms, people that are going in for these imaging procedures in the heart, there's 6 million of those every single year done in the United States and Western Europe. So it's a huge procedure, 6 million per year. And then if we look at Within that 6 million, who are the patients that have bad kidneys? The patients with bad kidneys is 1.3 million of the 6 million patients have poor kidney function. And those are the ones that are recognized to be clearly at the highest risk because they have a, a condition, a pre-diagnosed pre condition called chronic kidney disease. Uh, and they're at very high risk that the dye that would be introduced in this procedure could further damage their kidneys. And so that's 1.3 million. Also people with diabetes are also at risk. There's about a million of those. 
And then people that have uh, a heart attack, it's called STEMI. Uh, there's 440,000 of those. And then there's also leg procedures, about 450,000. So when you add all those together, it's about 3.2 million of the 6 million patients are at risk of having one of these events. And so it's a very large market opportunity for Osprey. Gosh, it's a $1.1 billion market opportunity. But where we always start and our primary focus, kind of the low hanging fruit, if you will, is the chronic kidney disease patient who has to undergo one of these heart procedures, very common heart procedure. And there's 1.3 million of those every year. Yeah, okay. Is that 1.3 million globally or are you uh, talking about the US market there? Uh, the US and Western Europe. If you look only at the U.S., it's about 800,000 in the U.S. only. Yeah, okay. And it's interesting, with, with the U.S., your, your presentation material has, um, has a map of, uh, which I think is the, um, the incidence of um, uh, yeah, CKD, um, and um, it shows sort of the real red spots. Are, um, we're not, not talking Republican states, although a lot of them are, Georgia, Alabama, the, uh, the the Carolinas, uh, so, so down south. It's interesting that there seems to be sort of big state-to-state variations. Yeah, when we started, you, you bring up a really good point. Obviously, when we started commercializing our devices to protect these patients with bad kidneys, you want to you want to try and look where where are the where are the patient-rich environments? And uh, the National Kidney Foundation in the United States, actually in Australia, they do the same function there. And in Europe, the same function there. They put out a, a heat map of the, uh, of the geography. And it says, where are the people that have the highest or where's the populations with the highest prevalence of kidney disease? And in the U.S., it is in the Deep South. It follows everything from Southern California all the way across to the uh, west or to the East Coast and around the Great Lakes. And it's not surprising, you know, if we were to also post a map of where is the highest obesity rates in the United States, yes. it tracks with the highest obesity, highest rates of diabetes, uh, and the highest rates of chronic kidney disease. All of those conditions are related. And so that that is where our heat map is. And that's where we put our first sales reps when we first started commercializing the device. Well, that makes sense. And, and on, on the point of uh, U.S. distribution, can, can you describe your strategy there? Yeah, excellent question. So we, we have changed our strategy a bit. Um, we started uh, selling with direct sales reps. And the key for us in starting with direct sales reps, and we, we, we had uh, 15 people in our sales force today. So with those direct reps, they were in the Deep South, patient-rich environment, what we were focused on is learning what are the keys to market adoption with our technology. What's the best way to approach the physician? What's the right way to describe our technology? What type of evidence do they want to see? The people who pay for the device, which is the hospital, what type of financial evidence do they need to see? All of that's intensive learning that you can do with a direct sales organization. And so we did that across the first three, four years of our distribution, learning those keys to market adoption. And what we did last year, during the course of last year, is we started looking at expanding outside of those uh, initial fifth, you know, 15 direct reps to try and cover more of the United States. And we've started hiring independent sales agent networks. So these are not direct employees. They are sales networks that uh, have employees that work for them that sell a number of different technologies. So they'll sell Osprey, but they may sell another product 
for example, like maybe nanosonics, for example, or an, another technology like that. Yes. So it, they'll have multiple products in their bag. And we're leveraging the best of both of our sales forces. Our direct sales force comes in when the uh, independent sales agent has a new demonstration that, or new evaluation in a hospital. One of our direct reps will go in to help with that conversion. And then the independent sales agent will manage that relationship and that business long term. So that's something new for us. Uh, and it's changed our coverage of the United States from 16 states to about a year ago today, we were covering 16 states with our uh, 15 person direct sales force to now we're covering, uh, gosh, another about 26 states um, in total. So just quite a bit more sales coverage using the independent sales network to expand our footprint and leverage the power of our direct sales organization. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so, so you've got about half of the the uh, the states uh, covered at this stage. What what can you say about clinician acceptance? Um, they tend to be uh, fairly conservative, don't they, when it comes to uh, new ways of doing things, even though the uh, the benefits might be sort of fairly clear. Yeah. You know, it, it's a really great question on what what's physician adoption. Uh, from from our standpoint, physician adoption is is very good. Physicians, and we, we have a benefit in the United States of a uh, of a, a, a database that's called the National Cardiovascular Data Registry, and what that does is that tracks AKI rate. So every doctor knows exactly what their acute kidney injury rate is from this procedure, and so they're motivated to do something about it because they know what that that number is. Um, now we're the where the rubber really meets the road is actually with the hospitals. Hospitals in the United States always have new technology and evaluation committees that evaluate anything that is new. And we are new. We're a new category. We're not replacing another product. We are adding a product that prevents downstream damage to patients' kidneys. And so that goes through new technology evaluation committees. And that's kind of a laborious process. And it takes a bit of, a bit of time. Uh, and so that's probably the, 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 the number one impediment, if you will, to market adoption is uh, the acquisition time frame it takes to get through the new technologies committees. Yes. And if you if uh, you can reduce the amount of dye usage by 40 percent, can you therefore uh, did you therefore have proof that um, uh, your your device will reduce the incidence of AKI by the same quantum? Uh, it's a really good question. So does a 40% reduction in dye, is it a one-to-one -one relationship with the reduction in AKI? It's not one-to-one. -one. Um, medicine is rarely one-to-one -one like that. However, what we do have is we do have numerous studies that show that our products do reduce acute kidney injury. And that is the way that we market it to the hospital. In fact, we're so confident that our product will reduce acute kidney injury that we actually guarantee hospitals in the United States that their AKI or acute kidney injury rate will come down. And if it doesn't, we will pay them back uh, for the money that they've spent on our technology. That's a really rare kind of an offer to, to give to hospitals, but it's served Osprey very well. First off, we have never paid a hospital back because they've, the, the product has always worked to reduce the acute kidney injury rate. And another benefit that we didn't anticipate in the beginning was hospitals look to see if their AKI rate is coming down. And when it does, they publish those results. 
And so we've been a benefactor of a lot of hospital and physician publications that show their lowering of their AKI rate, which of course serves as a growing body of evidence of the proof that our system reduces acute kidney injury in the hospital. Yeah, okay. Okay, great. It's kind of also been, it's been a slow burn for, for, for the company, um, hasn't it, Mike? I mean, you've been around, um, I think, uh, for a while now on the ASX. So has, has the rollout and, and revenue, has it been sort of a bit slower than you uh, expected? Uh, it it has so since so if we look at commercial revenues since 2015, 2015 to 2019 we grew at 86 uh, percent compounded annual growth rate per year. Um, now, did I want it higher? Absolutely. I'm the CEO of the company. I wanted it three times that rate, but 86 percent is also not 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 a level to apologize for. However, I did want it higher than that. So the keys to market adoption around uh, hospital adoption is the, is the longest lead time piece that we constantly deal with. Uh, and then COVID obviously set back a lot of people in the industry and we felt that too. And now we're growing rapidly again, post COVID and our ability to reaccess hospitals. So uh, it has taken longer. Uh, the good thing is though that uh, um, you know, we're back now after COVID and we expect to get climb right back to the uh, 86% compounded annual growth rate that we had seen before the COVID pandemic. What sort of uh, annualized revenue uh, rate are you running at? Um, I noticed in the last quarter, the, the March quarter, I think you did about uh, half a million uh, dollars. Uh, that, that's That's U.S.? That's correct. We did about a half a million dollars U.S. and we certainly anticipate growing that quite a bit this year. In fact, one of the biggest initiatives that we have this year that will uh, positively affect revenue beyond the one I just mentioned, which is the sales expansion footprint in the U.S. But another major initiative that we uh, that we did last year was for Europe. Historically, Osprey has been focused on the United States. It's the world's largest market, and that's where we've been focused. But last year, we signed an agreement with GE Healthcare. GE Healthcare is the world's largest manufacturer of contrast media, uh, the, the agent that we reduce. Uh, and they see the benefit of lowering acute kidney injury rates, and they are very focused on that. So they approached us about wanting uh, worldwide distribution rights outside of the United States. And we were very pleased to sign an agreement with GE Healthcare last year. And so they are our exclusive distributor for our product throughout all of Europe, the Middle East and Asia. Uh, and that was a milestone agreement for us. It's a four year agreement and uh, it's uh, obviously something that's very positive for the company, having such a large player uh, representing our products in Europe. Indeed. And have you started selling uh, in those geographies yet? Why we have. In fact, we yeah, we have. In fact, last quarter, we, we had some of our initial revenues come through GE. Uh, we were really pleased to see that because, as you might know, uh, Europe is in a bit worse condition than the U.S. in terms of COVID. Yes. And access to the hospitals and hospital procedures. You know, the, the, the clinicians continued focuses on making sure to take care of all the COVID patients and reducing some of the elective procedures. And certainly um, sales representatives coming in with new technologies is put on hold during COVID. So they've, they've had more of that in Europe 
than we have had in the United States, certainly in the first quarter of 2021. It was worse in Europe. I do expect that will get better this quarter and it will it will be more like the U.S. was in Q, quarter one. And then we will continue to see it pick up as their reps get in the hospitals. But really pleased to see um, sales begin to take off, even in a even in a tough COVID quarter in Europe with our partner GE in the first quarter. Yeah, OK, great. And uh, the company's got cash of about uh, $17 million from, from the looks of uh, things. Have you completed the development stage? Is there much more to spend? Um, there's not a lot more, more to spend in terms of de development of the products. Uh, we're, we're in an execution role now on sales expansion and our key initiatives around expanding the footprint in the United States to get much bigger geographic coverage. And then Europe, turning on Europe are the biggest changes for us uh, that will allow us to rapidly grow um, but you're right, the $17.7 million that we had at the end of uh, March 31st, it, it, it's wonderful to have a strong cash balance as we look to expand in the future. Okay, great. And finally, Mike, uh, how do you feel about the, uh, the ASX listed experience to date uh, for the company? Because, of course, you're, you're listed here on the ASX rather than uh, uh, a, a US listing. Yeah, that... I'm glad you asked the question because, you know, we are a U.S. company. I'm obviously based in the United States and we actually don't employ anyone else in Australia. We have a distributor in Australia, but we don't employ anyone in Australia. So my experience of listing on the Australian Stock Exchange has been a really positive one. Uh, gosh, the investor base is a really uh, advanced investor base, uh, knows the medical device market incredibly well. Um, and is very supportive of technologies uh, and the life cycle of the technology and its adoption curve. So I found it to be an outstanding uh, public market and source of capital. And we've been able to um, access the capital markets in Australia uh, very well. And so I, I feel very pleased uh, to have been public on the Australian exchange and very pleased with the supportive group of investors that we have. Excellent. That's great. Well, look, it's obviously been a, it's been a bit of a slog at, at, at times for yourselves, but uh, at least um, unlike a lot of other companies in the biotech uh, space, you've, you've kept a, a single product focus and um, um, slugged away at that. You haven't uh, diverted, if I can excuse the pun, into uh, cannabis or COVID cures or, or, or anything like that. I guess your valuation... Uh, should recognise that uh, hopefully uh, sooner rather than later. Thanks so much for your time, Mike, and I hope to uh, talk to you uh, about pro progress a bit later on. Thank you, Tim. I appreciate the time today. Thank you. Thank you.